the years. I know better than to rely on my brain to remember all the names of the people who have blessed us. So I won't name anybody. You know who they are. What I would like to do is get you to remember those people that most affected you, those who blessed you the most. Uh, who they are to me may not be who they are to you, right? We, we want to remember uh, how good God has been in giving us these people in the times that He did. I, I, want, uh, I want us to remember for ourselves the things and people God used to encourage and strengthen our body here at Holly Ridge. And I will do this by reading to you Psalm 105, 1 through 12. In this psalm, we are commanded to do certain things. We are to praise, sing psalms, and to sing to God. We are to recite the works of God. In this, we see celebrating, not just on holy days, but also in public and private celebrations. We are to sing and recite and pray with praises. We are to be a people that is constantly saying to one another, Remember when God did that? You remember when God did that thing for us? How He pulled us through? How He provided for us? How He protected us? We are to be doing this all the time. May this day of celebrating the gifts and grace of God to His people here remind us and encourage us to be a praised-filled people. If you will... Stand to honor the reading of God's Word and remain standing as we ask God the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of His Word. Psalm 105, starting in verse 1, the Word of the Lord reads, All give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Talk of all His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face evermore. Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. O seed of Abraham, His servant. O you children of Jacob, His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers His covenant forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan, an allotment of your inheritance, when they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us go once again to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord God, you are faithful. Lord, you are a faithful God. We are reminded here again that we should give you all praise and honor and glory. We're not here to praise men. We're here to praise you for the men and women you brought to us. Those that you gave us to support us, to, to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to provide for us. God, you did this thing. We praise you, God, because you are a covenant-keeping God. You are a God who will be faithful for 40,000 years and God beyond. And we praise you for that. And we pray, Lord, as we read and, and study your word this morning, that you will encourage us, that you will strengthen us, that God, Lord, you would make us merry in our hearts, brave and joyful, 
as we fight the good fight for you in this area. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. First, we are to be thankful for the works and deeds of the Lord. Verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6. The psalmist tells us first that we should be thankful. Now, it could be easy in any church in our day to find reasons for discouragement, right? You've, you've got these people not doing their job and this people over here or people just ain't showing up or we're tiny. We could find many reasons to be discouraged. And I will confess to you, me and my wife have had those times. But we need to understand that when we're discouraged at the works God is doing, we are showing unthankfulness for the works He has done. Now, this last couple of weeks, thinking about uh, what I want to do, and, and by the way, didn't settle on it until yesterday afternoon about 2 o'clock, um, I've, I've been thinking about my own discouragement, my own looking at men and looking at things rather than looking at God and what He has done for us. How He has blessed us. But in all things, we are to be thankful for all things come from God. And we need to remember that Paul tells us the first sin was born from unthankfulness. The people were unthankful and then they forgot God. We are to give thanks to the Lord, making His deeds known. When good things happen, this is when we have the best opportunity to say, Thank you, Lord. Now, when I was coming up, the only people that said things like, praise the Lord, were, you know, your, your Pentecostals, your Charismatics, right? A Baptist might whisper it under his breath, praise God. No, we're to do it out loud. We're to be vocal. We're to say, you know what, that is a, that is, God deserves praise for that. That's a blessing that that happened. Praise God. Jesus, it, praise his holy name. Thank you, God. So when good things happen, that's, God is giving you an opportunity to make His deeds known among the peoples. So there should be no guess with the people that are around you all the time where you think your blessings come from. Right? I work hard, you know. I work hard. No, God has blessed you with a work ethic. God has blessed you with the opportunity and the skills to do the job you do. If you do well, you should praise God. Right? Mama will come home and she'll say, I had all these clients today and things went well. You know Mama's Virginia, right? So she'll come home and say all that. And I'll say, Mama, I'm proud of you. No, praise God. That's the first. God is good. God is good to us. We should take that and do that. We are also to sing psalms to Him or just generally sing to God, uh, the psalmist says. We should almost think uh, that Christians should be walking around just like that guy in the Elf movie. Every time you turn around, that joker's singing. And he can't sing, right? Just belting it out, right? And so we should be that kind of people. Rather than half-hearted psalm singing in the church, we should have to come to some and say, now look, Barney, we're going to have to give you a microphone if you don't calm down. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to talk to Chris Church after church. Because what we want to be doing is saying, hey, look, we know you're enthusiastic. We love that you have this zeal for God, but you are just almost screaming. Why? Because my heart is overflowing with joy because of the things that God has and is doing in my life. 
I'm remembering the things that God has done, and I can't help but sing loud. I can't help but be bolsterous and maybe obnoxious even. The last, and lastly, in this thankfulness, we should be talking about the wondrous works of God. You remember when God provided us a third of our building costs before the building was even finished? You remember that? I remember that. I remember that. Do you, do you remember how God paved our parking lot for us? You remember that? We're going, we're going to be out here in dirt for years because we don't have any money. And the next thing you know, we have a parking lot paved and lined, right? It's marked off, free, free. And my greatest, the one I love the most, you remember when we got a coffee maker? <laughs> Give to us. Dewey just walks in as a guy, he has a restaurant, he wants us to have this. And, and yes, we should be as thankful for the coffee maker as the parking lot. Every gift is a good gift, no matter the size. We must remember the works, wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Ever the works of God should be in our mouth. Ever the works and praises of God's works and wonders should be in our mouth. And, and, and I think a lot of times what we do is we get caught up in some of the Old Testament stuff like the splitting of the Red Sea or the Jordan, which was where I was going to go and then changed my mind. And, and we get caught up in these wondrous big things. But then when God delivers us here in a way that we can then turn around and explain, it's not that big of a deal. But it is. It is a grace when God delivers us in every way. And we need to, to remember that. And we need to, yes, talk about the Jordan crossing. Yes, talk about the Red Sea. Yes, talk about manna from heaven. But we also need to talk about the fact that God feeds us every week. That God allows us to be in here and love one another. Even though we're different, we come from different backgrounds, we talk differently. I mean, you know, we, we must remember these small graces. And we must rejoice in them together. And then we must seek the Lord and rejoice, verses 3 and 4. First, we are told that we are to glory in God's holy name. Now, this uh, is that we are to give Christ all the praise for everything. Gr Christ gave me both the skill and opportunity to make what I make. To Him alone be the glory. We shall be glorified. The Bible tells us that, that we're being glorified. Those He loved, He predestined. Those He predestined, He justified. Those He justified, He sanctified. Those He sanctified, He glorified. Now, this is in the past tense, not in the future. You are being glorified right now. And you're being glorified so that Christ will be glorified in the earth so that others will come and love Him. That's, that's your duty. Be glorious in Christ. And you do that, and one of the main ways you do that is that you are constantly giving Christ all the credit for everything. We shall be glorified but, but by Christ's glory. We must ever have praise in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand. Turn a few pages over to Psalm 149. This is uh, this year become one of my favorite psalms. It struck me earlier in the year when I read it in my Bible reading. 
And if you'll take every word literally, I hate using that word, but if you'll take it literally, it should blow you over a little bit. What is being said here? Psalm 149, starting in verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in His praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name with the dance. Let them sing praises to Him with the tremble and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will, ba- he will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punish- punishments on the peoples to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Now, in the psalmist's day, literally they were singing psalms, swinging a two-edged sword, hacking people up. It's what they were doing. Can't lighten it up. But... Jesus has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. This is the sword you're swinging now. While you know what the judgments are now? That Jesus Christ sits in the heaven and all men can be saved. Jesus Christ sits in the heaven. The king of kings has now took his throne and you can be saved like I'm saved. And don't Calvinist it up. Right? Because the apostles didn't. All men everywhere are commanded to be saved. All men everywhere. If you're a man or of mankind, then you are commanded to repent and believe the gospel. And you're to wield that sword without compromise. And while you're doing it, do a little dance. Woo! God is great! If you have to, memorize a short psalm just to sing it in your head while you're sharing the gospel. We are to be constantly a people of praise. Constantly. If we are seeking the Lord, then our hearts should be rejoicing. Now this is not this cultish fake joy because Big Daddy Doofus told us that unbelievers uh, are the only people that are sad. You know, true believers never feel sadness. That is the dumbest thing anybody could ever tell you. Don't hear that. That's not that kind of... You know, looks like the 1970s. You ain't that happy, friend. You're barefooted and you ain't shaved your armpits. You are not happy. So what we need to understand is this is not that kind. This is a rejoicing even even through sadness kind of joy. Right? We can rejoice even as we lose parents. We can rejoice even as we lose children. We can rejoice even as we grow old and start our bodies start to break down on us. We can rejoice even in those times. Why? Because my joy is not here. My joy is up there. It's in my heart. And I'm seeking the Lord. And so that makes my heart rejoice all the more. Why? Because the more I seek Him, the more I know Him. And the more I know Him, the more I rejoice in Him. Right? We, have, we can have this for two reasons. Henry says that Yahweh will be found when diligently sought after. I can't find God. You're not looking. Because God says if you're looking, He will show Himself to you. You're looking, then you'll find Him. 
He is a God who can be found. And if you're not looking, you better start. And when found, he is found to be a rewarder of those who seek after him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that is, he is God, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So after asking that all the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, we are commanded then to seek the Lord. The psalmist says, Lord, let every heart that seeks after you rejoice. And oh, by the way, saints, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Right? If your heart is not rejoicing, if you know not this joy, then seek the Lord. You tired of being depressed? Seek the Lord. Are you tired of having to be chemically made happy? Seek the Lord. Right? Seek the Lord. Because all who do have rejoicing hearts. And finally, we see that this seeking the Lord is seeking His strength. That is, we cannot do things that are the duty of Christians by our own power. I can't make myself joyful. I can't. Right? And I can't make my wife joyful. If I can't fix me, I know I can't fix her. Right? And so what we have to do is we have to trust in the Lord. And we're going to seek Him diligently... And when we seek Him, we're going to draw for His strength because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? We get His joy. We get His joy and that gives us strength. We must have all His strength and none of ours. We must seek and be God, and by God's grace receive Christ's strength. We are dust. Christ is infinite. Nothing Christ can't do. And there's nothing you can do. So it's a good trade-off, right? Yahweh is our God and He rules over all the earth, verse 7. We are next told that Yahweh is our God. That word Lord there is the covenant name for God when you see it in all capital letters. So it's Yahweh or Jehovah. Depends on what tradition you're raised up in. This means that we are owned by Him as He owns all things. And that's good, right? Because because we want to be owned and held and, and, and kept by God. That is a good thing. He is all-powerful and He's all-loving, so that's a good thing. But more important to us, we find that He belongs to us. He is our God. We own Him. He's made promises He cannot be God and get out of. Cannot be pure and, and, and honest and true and love and not keep His promises. This means that we cannot be separated from His love once we have it. There is nothing that can separate us from the divine love. Romans 8, 37-39 says, says, Nor heights, nor depths, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come... uh, That has got all confused. I'm going to return to Romans and read it properly. I did read over this, I promise. Romans 8. It says, Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God 
which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, there's two things that we need to understand here. If we're seeking the Lord, then we're seeking Jesus because only through Jesus can we have this love that we can never be separated from. He being ours, we can now know that nothing can take Him from us. We can lose family members. We can lose wealth. We can lose our homes. We can lose our freedoms, as we're doing. But we cannot lose Jesus, ever. He's never going to depart from us. He's never going to abandon us. And that's why we can rejoice even when bad things happen because those bad things, we're told earlier in Romans, are working to our good so that we can please Him. But next, the psalmist tells us that His judgments are in all the earth. This simply tells us that all the nations do as He pleases to bring about His purposes and plans. God has given His law to the nations, and though they pervert it to their own destruction, it is this undeniable need for law that stops wicked men from burning it all down. So, since it is God's law and sovereign rule over the earth that stops man from killing himself and everyone else, then we can trust that He will bring things to right and accomplish all His good purposes and plans. We can live without fear then, even as we die. We may not can handle it, but God can. Yahweh can handle it. We may not have the strength, but He does. In remembering the wondrous works we have witnessed, we should add on top the wondrous works of church history. Verses 8 through 12. The psalmist says something very remarkable. Yahweh remembers His covenant forever, the word He commanded for a thousand generations. Now, a biblical generation is 40 years. 40,000 years after, after God has promised these promises to Abraham, He still remembers them. He's still bringing them to pass. He remembers, meaning... He makes them to come to pass. Now, we talked about in Genesis, every time God remembers, He then acts for His people. He remembers the covenant, so He acts for His people. So we can say here that God remembered His covenant and planted this church. God remembered His covenant and placed you here to serve here. God remembered His covenant and gave us certain people with certain personalities and plans for this church that has brought us to where we are. A building that's paid for. Land that's paid for. Right? God is doing something here. And when we look back at those times, then we sprinkle on top of that, oh yeah, by the way, God split the Red Sea and delivered all of Israel. The little problems we may have here in our body ain't anything to Him. They're no big deal. No wonder it was so easy to get this building paid off. I mean, he split the sea and made them cross on dry land. We remember these kind of things that God did. How in the world is he having Michael Ware as the preacher? Well, he spoke through a dumb donkey. And so he, he can do anything. He can use anybody to proclaim his word. So now this thousand generation is still being counted and coming to pass. They come to pass every time a father catechizes his children and they grow up in the faith. Every time a child is baptized, every time a covenant child who is apostatized comes back to the faith, God is remembering His covenant. We are told that God made a covenant to Abraham. God cut His covenant 
with Father Abraham, and he meant to bring it to its proper end. Though the patriarchs failed, the covenant hasn't. Israel proved stiff-necked, but God's holy covenant stood. The Jews of the first century despised it, and the world conspired to kill Messiah, but God was faithful. God, in covenant faithfulness, raised Christ from the dead and made Him the covenant. Isaiah 49, 8 and 9 says, Thus says the Lord, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. We are next told that promise was Canaan, and so it was. But this was not the end, but a shadow. Many want the shadow to be heaven, but that is not what we are told. Canaan, an allotment of their inheritance, was only a down payment. Paul tells us the same thing when he tells us in Romans 4, 13-15, that for the promise that, we would be the, that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. The promise of the land of Canaan was a promise of the whole earth. And this is the only thing that can make sense of every part of the covenant. All nations are not going to be blessed by Jews living in a country the size of New Jersey. Rather, they will be blessed by their kings and judges kissing the sun. When all the world comes under Christ the King, then the nations will truly be blessed. And as we remember the good and bad of the last 20 years, we can have this hope. Yahweh is always faithful to His promises. He's always faithful to His promises. Thus, we can seek Him and by His strength reach this community and eventually the world. May God grant us to know God and to grow in knowing Him. May this knowledge grow us in praise and faithfulness. May our hearts swell with the love of and for Yahweh. And may this praise be glorious and draw all men to Him here at Holly Ridge. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.